I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Juan Williams, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. I'm Trey Yanks. Weeks out from the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden, conversations are ongoing about how to bring the nation together. I think we need to recognize President Trump is holding a mirror up to us. And this is the state of our democracy. And one person, whether it's Joe Biden or anybody else, is not going to be able to fix that alone. And we all of us are called on as citizens to help rebuild it. This is the Fox News Rundown, Evening Edition. On January 20th, America will see the transfer of power from President Trump to President-elect Biden. Amid a growing pandemic and a divided nation, many Americans still don't believe the outcome of the election. There is no credible evidence of widespread or widely coordinated voter fraud. But allegations of just that are adding to growing distrust of the media and the U.S. political system. Well, I think the first priority is going to have to be healing. This is author and Democratic advisor Spencer Critchley. And as confident as I am that Joe Biden is committed to leading that effort, I really think that it has to come down to all of us. Um, You know, whatever one thinks about President Trump, and I am a strong opponent of President Trump, but that doesn't make me a strong opponent of his supporters. I think we have to recognize that President Trump and his administration have just been expressions of the situation in the country. And if we're going to be angry or alarmed at what's going on now. And I I really think we should be alarmed at what's going on during this transition, just as I think we should have been alarmed by a lot of things that were going on during the administration. I think we need to recognize President Trump is holding a mirror up to us. And this is the state of our democracy. And one person, whether it's Joe Biden or anybody else, is not going to be able to fix that alone. Uh, We got the state of our democracy uh, in this, I would say, shambles. And we all of us are called on as citizens to help rebuild it. You wrote a book called Patriots of Two Nations, Why Trump Was Inevitable and What Happens Next. Talk to me about how that ties into this reflection that America is going through right now. You talk about holding up a mirror to the United States and a lot of the acts that we have seen, whether it's in the briefing room and the administration attacking members of the media, uh, the distrust in in the media that uh, the president has often stoked, or whether it's uh, on the other side, Capitol Hill, and and not being able to come together on bipartisan efforts that are good for all Americans. Uh, What made you decide to write this book, and how is it useful going into this transition period where there are a lot of open questions about what is to come? Well, as I describe uh, in the book, what really led to this was election night 2016. I was helping out with the Hillary Clinton campaign. And like a lot of Trump opponents, I was completely blindsided by his victory. And I realized there was something going on here that I did not understand. I didn't think Hillary Clinton had won anything like a perfect campaign. Uh, But like many other people, I thought there was no way she could lose. And as I looked into what really led to this, I kept going farther and farther back in history and felt that a lot of the explanations I was hearing didn't really capture the big picture. And ultimately, it led me back to the founding of the country. And my conclusion is we have been divided this way since the founding of the country. And at the highest level, it's a divide between two completely different ways of looking at the world. And if you wanted to summarize it uh, very briefly, you might say that it's reason versus faith. 
The Enlightenment was uh, the source of many of the ideas of the founding of the country, the Enlightenment triumph of reason, which made reason the ultimate authority of what we know and how to run a country. And the United States was the first country ever founded on principles of reason. But what we've lost track of is the deep divide between people who supported the Enlightenment vision and people who resisted it because they thought there were things outside reason like faith and tradition and culture that needed to be preserved. And that division we see right down to the present day. We saw it most violently during the Civil War, which was fought over slavery, of course, first of all, but it was also a battle between these two different worldviews. And I think in many ways, President Trump is exploiting that same divide. And I think that uh, liberals like me bear some responsibility for this because we have kind of tended to dismiss the other side of the divide and act as if it doesn't really matter. And that has fueled um, a lot of resentment. It also created a void for demagogues, which is what I think President Trump is an example of, to wade in and promise to fulfill the longing for a sense of uh, faith, tradition, national destiny, preserving the culture and that sort of thing that Democrats have just left kind of empty. How do you find a way to bring the country back to a baseline? I think that during the Trump administration, and before I came to the Middle East, I was, was covering the White House, and something every day I'd go into the, the James Brady briefing room and think about was that when you had an administration that was constantly making promises and oftentimes misleading the American public on things such as the efforts by the media or efforts by opposition on, on Capitol Hill, it got to a point where there were supporters of the president who just needed more. He needed to make more promises. And uh, oftentimes, the stronger those promises got and the support for those promises got, the stronger the opposition to them got. And it created this, this void in between what normally could be some sort of common ground for America. So how does President-elect Biden go into 2021 and almost press restart on the United States? Right. I think that uh, Biden is actually well positioned to do this. And I, I wrote about this in the book, and this was before the election, but I was predicting that uh, this time I, my prediction was better, that Biden had a very good chance of winning. And the reason for that, aside from his other qualifications, is that he combines these two worldviews I'm talking about. President Trump, one of his talents is that he com he connects on the personal, emotional, intuitive kind of level, which represents this counter-enlightenment worldview I'm talking about that I think Democrats have, where they've left a void. Um, and uh, Biden uh, actually connects on that level, although I'd say in a more positive way, he's, he doesn't exploit uh, fear and resentment and, and hatred and suspicion the way Trump does. Instead, he's much more focused on hope and inclusion. But Biden also uh, is very much in the Enlightenment tradition of reason, where he trusts experts, he's very knowledgeable himself, and he's going to try to run policy, I'm sure, based on uh, facts and logic rather than, you know, impulse. Uh, so I think he's well positioned to try to to bring this back together. And as part of that, a lesson that, again, liberals like me, I think, need to learn, and I've certainly been learning this lesson over the years as a communications person, um, is that if we just keep coming back against uh, the demagogic uh, claims of somebody like Trump with the facts and logic without recognizing what he's appealing to underneath, that hunger for some sense of meaning, national destiny, that somebody cares about them, cares about their culture, somebody respects them, uh, somebody has some kind of moral vision, however twisted I would say it is in Trump's case. Uh, if we don't provide a sense that we are addressing that hunger for meaning in life, 
Uh, we leave that void, as I say, to be exploited by demagogues, and demagogues have always done that throughout history. And I think that the problem with uh, Democrats is they become way too much stuck in their heads and way too technocratic and realized how they've created this opportunity. So uh, Biden, I think, has shown so far, and I'm confident he'll continue this way, that he understands that. When he talks about the soul of America, for example, when he refuses to indulge in this demonization, this mutual demonization and this ever-escalating cycle of anger, um, and instead talks about the, the goodness and decency and, and of, the, of the average American, which is very true, and, and that he will be a president for all Americans. I think he is hitting these uh, deep notes that resonate so deeply in people's hearts and souls that I think uh, is, is very important and I think is where we all really, especially on the left, as I say, which I think has become too technocratic, need to start. You've been listening to author and Democratic advisor Spencer Critchley. We'll be right back. How does President-elect Biden navigate his past in Washington? It's difficult, I think, to describe to many Americans the nation's capital and not get some sort of response of frustration in one area or another. Many voters are one-issue voters, and, and whether their issue was taken care of during the last presidential cycle or not is up for debate with any particular voter. But I think that there is this question of someone who is coming from what many would refer to as the Washington establishment can be easily distrusted by people who are supporting President Trump. And and as you noted, people who oftentimes aren't bad people, uh, they have a different set of views maybe than someone you would meet uh, in Georgetown or uh, down on Capitol Hill, but their views come from a place of, of having a different experience in the United States, and oftentimes, as President Trump during his 2016 campaign really pushed, they felt forgotten. So how does President-elect Biden bring those people in and basically convince them that, yes, he served under the Obama administration, yes, he was a United States senator, yes, he spent dozens of years in the nation's capital, how does he convince them that he's not just another Washington politician, or even if he was just another Washington politician before, that he's learned something from that experience and is going to move forward in a different way? I think part of reclaiming our democracy is going to require debunking this whole anti-Washington bias, which is essentially really the result of a decades-long marketing campaign, uh, because Washington uh, if you look at the logic of business, Washington is a competitive force. People who've done MBA studies, for example, or have experience in, in management will understand the concept of competitive forces that the, uh, any business has to survey and deal with. And government regulation and taxation is a competitive force in any uh, business operation. And one of the worst things I think that the Republican Party has done over the past decades, and this really um, dates back to Ronald Reagan, is describing government as the problem, as if government is nothing but a collection of you know inept and or corrupt bureaucrats who just want to take your tax money and waste it, and they never do anything good. And this is just not true. There are lots of serious problems with our system. As often as not, those problems are caused by things like the corrupting influence of money, whether it's coming from corporations or other interest groups, including unions. Um, but the idea that government can't do anything right uh, 
or that it's nothing but corruption is just not true. Um, many of the underpinnings of the incredible prosperity and success we enjoy today, including the internet and most of the high tech we use, comes out of government programs. There are people in this country today who would be starving to death, uh, if not for government assistance during this pandemic. Uh, the fact that we are going to have a vaccine soon, and th this is one of the few uh, successes I would point to in the Trump administration, is the uh, success in working with private industry in, in pharma to come up with these vaccines. This is the result of government programs, the highways we drive over. Most you know, government employees are honest people doing their best to serve the public. Now, are there things that have gone wrong? Yes, absolutely. And there are some, some things that have gone very seriously wrong. And I don't think people are crazy to be frustrated with the gridlock they've seen for so long in government, uh, with the outsized uh, influence of money in government, for example, uh, the naked partisanship well, that only let's, seems let's, to be getting let's, worse. Let's open, that, let's open that up because, you know, I don't, I, I don't think for, for many Americans those things square up. I mean, you talk about the gridlock in Washington and you talk about the money in government and the K Street lobbyists who are oftentimes really influencing policy and people don't often feel hurt. And I mean, I think that's right. You see a lot of distrust on both sides of the aisle. So, I mean, that's sort of what I'm getting at with the question of not talking about that the government across the board is corrupt and against the people or anything like that. I mean, you make a great point in the sense that you need the government to do things like services and, and roads and uh, things that people often don't think about despite the fact they're using every day. Uh, but in terms of the gridlock in Washington, gridlock that oftentimes the, the former uh, vice president and the current president-elect participated in, the, the Washington political games that we, we do see on both sides of the aisle. It's not just a, a Democrat-led thing. How does he convince the American people that he's going to put that behind him and, and try to reach across the aisle, despite the fact that there will be people he's reaching across to that will attack him in response. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult, as we saw with Barack Obama, who was a committed unifier, going back to his famous speech in 2004 at the Democratic National Convention about how there is no red, red America or blue America, there's just the United States of America. I'm sure Biden will want to continue that effort but I'm sure he's also sadder but wiser uh, after what he saw, uh, you know, the buzz saw essentially that President Obama's good intentions ran into. Uh, it's going to be a huge challenge, but this is part of what I mean by it's up to us. We allowed this system to develop. And if you think about the, you know, the influence of money, for example, which is a corrupting influence on both sides, although I actually think, uh, as many others have pointed out, the, the Republican Party is in a uniquely degraded state at the moment. But overall, yes, you know, there are big problems in the system. But this is kind of like a standoff with everybody's got their guns out and who's going to drop their gun first. So if you try to address money in politics, which, as I say, spans the ideological spectrum as a very serious problem, it's really hard to get people to agree to drop their gun first. Everybody hates Congress, for example, but statistics show that people like their own member of Congress because they see that person as bringing home benefits to their district. They, in effect, bring home the bacon, as the saying goes. That's an example of what I'm talking about. Um, the wheeling and dealing that we see in politics has been built into the system almost since the beginning. The, the, the founders originally were hoping for something a little more elevated, but very quickly, by about the beginning of the 1800s, it was clear it was going to be this interest group-based based politics, and it was going to be 
pretty messy. Uh, so that's a normal part of politics, and we shouldn't be shocked that that's, that's what happens. Um, but underlying that, there has to be just a basic level of what's known as civic virtue, where we fulfill our basic responsibilities as citizens and don't allow it to become as thoroughly degraded as it has been become. And as I say, blaming Washington as if there's something in the water in Washington or as if there's something in the genes of people who become politicians. We elected these people. You know, when I hear somebody say, who elected, where did these clowns come from? I say, we elected them. And so this is why this, the, we must save uh, democracy, I would argue, by reclaiming our role as citizens. And the more we just blame politicians, or frankly, the more we blame the other side, whether the other side is Trump supporters or Trump opponents, the more we're perpetuating the core problem. This, it's a democracy. It means ruled by the people. And the, the real rulers who are falling down on the job are, are us, the people. Uh, the education part is critical, I think, moving forward. And I know you talk about this in your book about that pathway. Spencer Critchley, the author of Patriots of Two Nations, Why Trump Was Inevitable and What Happens Next. Spencer, thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure, Trey. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.